Hello, this is Michael Crane from Cranfield. Thanks so much for tuning in to our next podcast, which is a conversation between my colleague Paul Lee, technical manager here at Cranfield, and myself recorded a few weeks ago before COVID-19 virus changed the way the world looks and works. So I hope you're keeping safe and well. I hope too that you're using Cranfield paints and inks in your confinement, and we look forward to working with you in the future. Please enjoy. Hello, my name is Michael Crane of Cranfield, based in Cumbran in South Wales, and welcome to our podcast, Colour Like No Other. And I'm really pleased today to be joined by my colleague, Paul Lee. Um, Paul and I, good morning to you. (laughs) We often pass in the corridor, but we don't often spend time having a natter. And today, here in the factory, I ought to say, listeners may hear some of the mills in the background. Um, It's busy, uh, it's always colourful, but you and I have taken time aside because I want to chat through with you what you did before you made artist paints and uh, printmaking inks, because you're our technical manager here, but um, you haven't always been in the art world. What were you doing before? No, indeed. I actually started uh, in the industrial paint uh, sector, so I was producing paints for uh, mainly steel um, structures like bridges and ships. So anything that was very large uh, and at risk of corrosion uh, was where I was um, producing paint. So our paints go out in tubes which may contain 40 or 60 mil. Um, mm. What was the smallest container that if you were supplying paint to paint a, a road bridge or something, vast quantities, I assume? So, well, the smallest container was a five litre pail. And the largest? Uh, or one gallon pail. Uh, and, and, and the largest we could send out in IBCs of a thousand litres. Um, and in fact, a regular order for us would be in the pa- it would be in, in in multiple pallets as opposed wow. to uh, wow. individual items. So yeah. And it wasn't always plain sailing, was it? Because I know we share this background that, for me, thirty years ago now, I used to deal with large industrial complaints. For me, it was dealing with uh, complaints in the paper industry when papers went wrong. But you weren't simply making industrial paints you were dealing with problems yes and i assume problems on a on a big scale with big consequence yeah for sure and i think if we look at the complaint world uh, with paints um we see that due to environmental or chemical uh, regulations becoming ever um, ever more pronounced and prominent we have to redesign and redevelop most of our paints to comply with these uh, regulations and normally that involves uh, more engineering and maybe more more work for the the user of the paint and with that you have more problems (laughs) So uh, and, and more risk of things going wrong. So for sure, we had uh, a number of, of complaints that were um, that would that would crop up um, quite often with simple solutions. Yep. Um, but of course, now and again, you would come across some really uh, really interesting ones that would cost uh, in in the millions uh, to, wow. to, to try and resolve. Yeah. So it's uh, so I'm pleased. That you've joined us for so many reasons, but not least you've got away from that rather terrifying world where the phone would ring and it may be a claim oh, yes. <laughs> worth millions. But obviously, one moves then from dealing with problems on a vast scale to now interacting with individual 
artists for whom things do go wrong there are problems and the biggest pain there is not necessarily financial but um, the sadness of, of lost time something's gone wrong uh, a project hasn't worked uh, as perhaps one had hoped and now you and I are, are chatting through on a damp day in South Wales uh, in January 2020 um, but you and I were discussing not long ago that February is the peak month for problems, especially in printmaking. And you are often giving quite generic advice because there, there is, there's a commonality of things going wrong in, in, in printmaking. So why is February seen as such a problematic month for printmakers? Yes, February is a, is a problem. Um, and problems for artists help to destroy their creativity so yeah. so it's a real frustrating time uh, and not just um, for artists but actually the, the, the wider paint world will always have this issue come the winter and there's a few simple reasons for that uh, usually it's cold okay so in which case we should say February has to be recalibrated depending on where you live. <laughs> yeah, so you, right. we're talking here of the coldest, and not just the coldest, and month, the darkest. The, okay. Yeah. So, so a lot of common complaints will be about drying times. Yep. Uh, they will be about maybe the, the, a color change or a color development, yep. the handling of uh, your inks or your paints yep. uh, through a change in viscosity, yep. and these things are, are always related to temperature changes. Yep. So we see people close windows, uh, they close doors, so we have less air movement, less fresh air. This slows down the drying uh, that's experienced. And so the shorter, darker day, also with a lot of damp around, then uh, increases the relative humidity. Yes. And of course that's going to slow drying down too. Yes, it does, yeah. So the, the printmaker suffers in February or if you're in New Zealand from your equivalent, yeah. uh, or the states, that they suffer very much from cold, damp conditions, slowing the drying, and as you say, also sometimes having colour impacts. Is there a bad month for painters? It's a good question. Um, probably, probably very similar. Uh, and of course, uh, the opposite can apply in very hot conditions. So if you are in Australia in the middle of the summer, um, then very rapid drying might start frustrating their effort, efforts to blend and um, incorporate uh, colours together. So, so yes, yeah, certainly extreme at the extreme ends of any season, we, we see a, a, a raise uh, in, in issues and problems associated with uh, painting or, or printing. Which is why, for you, especially thinking of paints for a moment, it's really difficult in your role as technical manager that you're having to second guess where paints will be used and you're having to make a common denominator so that it doesn't have great extremes yeah, that will yeah. either dry too quickly or too slowly in a range of different climates. Now, I know that we make on our acrylics a drying retarder, mm. which you can add to an acrylic paint, which will extend the working time. But, of course, the warm conditions will speed up oil painting drying which is funny because in a way oil painting you tend to get people who are especially approaching oils for the first time surprised that they're taking many weeks to dry and indeed some colors into the months there uh, the often the, as i say their, their comment is this is very slow to dry but in hot conditions they can dry very very quickly very but you make one 
particular product, a white, a titanium white, which is intended to be quick drying. Mm. And my understanding that that's used a lot in Scandinavian countries where it's very cold and it's yeah. uh, indeed the, the the drying is going to be relatively slow and of course as white is the biggest user uh, in in oil painting then it'll increase the speed of whatever color you you make out of it so when you're talking to oil painters i know if i'm listening in to a conversation if i'm in your office and you're talking to somebody on the phone and sometimes you'll be explaining things which are relatively obvious to us as paint manufacturers but they're received by painters as a novelty because they are in a way quite quirky or they wouldn't generally be uh, known. Can you explain to me why I hear you chatting to artists and you'll be explaining or asking what's your studio like and they always tell you about the heat, they may tell you about the ventilation but that's sort of the end of their description and you go on to ask about something else. What is it that you ask? Well, yeah, we often ask about the the availability availability of light in in the studio. So whether they have uh, enough windows, uh, or even uh, artificial lights, are uh, equally as useful. And yeah. is the light simply so they see the painting in it, in all its glory, or is <laughs> there a is there a, a consequence for drying about light? Yeah, well, certainly there's uh, there's plenty of benefit in seeing the painting <laughs> in all its glory, and, and and indeed maybe another topic for one for another time, Michael. But uh, lighting, uh, of course, is a, it's a whole uh, phenomena and area of expertise in itself. But um, but the drying. But when it comes issue. to drying. What we see is that uh, if you were to put any oil-based print or painting into a dark room and, and leave, leave that uh, to try and dry, it actually does so very, very slowly. And even relatively small amounts of light from artificial bulbs or indeed uh, sunlight will actually rapidly increase that. So there's definite, definitely a, a, a clear relationship between the availability of light and the, and the drying speed of your, of your paints. And it's not just drying speed, isn't it, that if a product is allowed to dry in the dark, there can be an unpleasant yellow cast. Yeah, so they call that transient chromophores. So this is um, a little bit to do with the way the the oil starts to dry. Um, And without light being part of that uh, equation, then actually you start to get this yellow film forming over the surface. So it's, um, it can quite often uh, give the the effect of the the color fading, or if it's a particularly white or light painting, then this yellowing off. Uh, which is unpleasant. I mean, the good news with that is that you can place that back into light. And once you do that, uh, actually, it it usually reverts back to its um, clear state again. I suppose one of the great advantages for us, we are making colours for really interesting artists who are always eager to learn. They're with us for the journey, wanting to uh, grow and uh, gain knowledge. And so it's a delight helping people through these problem moments when they're faced with a challenge like that. Going back to when you were a young man dealing with commercial uh, paints and dealing with big problems, do any stick in your mind and still give you sleepless nights? Sure. Um, the, the commercial world uses a lot of epoxy paints. These are two components, a base and a cueing agent that get mixed together. And quite regularly we'd get the call with somebody that the paint isn't drying and, and um, it'd be amazing how often they hadn't actually oh, applied yeah. 
the the cune agent in, in, into the base part. Uh, and of course, the the, the follow up question was always, "Well, can we roller it in?" Yeah. You know, uh, as, as though that could somehow be uh, achieved. Uh, well, when I, I think back to my days dealing with complaints, I can remember I drove three or four hours to see a client. And um, they were so furious because it was a particular printing paper and it had a, a mark in it. And uh, really, it was very, very difficult to see with the naked eye, but they were convinced that it was unusable. However, they insisted on using it um, <laughs> because they obviously wanted a hefty discount. And uh, we were taken into the boardroom in this large uh, printer's and the man for comic effect, in fact, I don't think he meant it to be comic, but certainly to reinforce his point, he threw across the boardroom table loose change and said, I'm throwing money at your company. <laughs> anyway, my colleague with me went through the awful dilemma. Should he be shocked by this very spectacular and flamboyant demonstration or as he was tempted, should he scrabble around under the table collecting the money? Because <laughs> it was rather a lot. <laughs> so thinking back to those days before you were involved in Artist Colours, did you ever, as I did from time to time, have the delight of arriving to deal with a complaint and realising that the product was not your own? <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, and um, uh, as with many artists uh, um, in the print, uh, in the paint world, uh, commercial paint world, uh, they too use many different brands and, and varieties. So yeah, absolutely, and and people quite often we, we used to have a statistic with complaints that actually uh, some, something like eighty five percent of the complaints were down to the the application. Um, uh, so. Only, only a relatively small. The other ten, fifteen percent would be some some sort of uh, climate or conditions uh, under which the paint is is performing, and then there'd be a very small percent which would maybe may be down to a product issue in the end. So, yeah, we we had a number of and, and complaints comes can come from any uh, direction. So um, we 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 had one uh, occasion with. Um, a wind tower, so a wind tower still in uh, production, so it's in a big painting hall, and they had this recurring problem of these fish eyes occurring in the paint. So fish eyes are these little round circles with a little dot in the middle, looks like a fish eye. Does it come from a bubble or, or what's happening? Yeah, so normally it's a silicone contamination, and uh, the, the the customer was quite irate about it because in the world of uh, wind towers, they're not allowed to have these things form, and so. The only solution was to actually completely strip the tower of all of its paint up to that point and start again. So they were they were very agitated by this very costly complaint, um, and of course um, they were determined they weren't doing anything wrong. That their sprayers were the best, and they've been doing it all their lives, and they've had thirty years' experience, uh, and, and in no way could they be doing doing anything wrong. But. Um, uh, <laughs> After some hours on site and watching and waiting for this problem to occur, of course it didn't, uh, as any sort of watch like what never boils. Child, the doctor, the never ill in front of the doctor. <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. So after quite some time, uh, it was difficult to come up with a, a, a good reason why this was was occurring. Um, but actually, I stayed on a little bit, pondering once the the shift changed and. Um, 
it, this was about 7.30 in the evening. I'm, I'm sort of sat in the hall trying to work out where possibly the silicone is coming from. And all of a sudden, uh, this little old lady sort of bursts into the spray room uh, with, a, with, a, with cleaning cloth. And she cleans the glass on the outside of the door psh, 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 with a with cleaner. And, and sure enough, this was the same thing happening uh, every night at the same time. This, this lady was coming in, spraying her cleaner, which was creating this fine mist, landing on this, this same sort of spot on, on, on the tower every single night. So, um, Isn't that fascinating? So, if you'd gone home... You wouldn't have seen it. So uh, the fact you were still there, exactly, you saw and, how things conspired. And this is an important thing as well for 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 artists or anybody. Is is we, we often get routines and we get things in place, and it can be really difficult to try and identify why why we can't yeah. um, get to the bottom of a problem, and and often there is something going on, something reoccurring, or something that's uh, that's happening maybe outside of your your scope. Uh, and that's that, one of the causing delights it. for you and indeed t- t- for myself to an extent that we can shed light on what seems a terrible problem or a terrible situation for an artist because it is something that we have seen before. Not that we necessarily see it regularly and in fact painters overcome so many of their own problems that really, uh, and there's a great fraternity there, they learn from one another, the same is true in printmaking, but there are these times when we can shed uh, light on a situation and help artists uh, overcome a situation. But you mentioned earlier that the critical moments in commercial paints is when formulation change is forced upon you. Mm. So I'm interested to see if this applies in any way to artist materials where from time to time especially in pigments there will be perhaps a pigment shortage and we're forced to make a change we don't Mm. like to do it but if we do we try and test as far as we can in every situation to check that the ink and a painter can to perform as they did before but can i question you about whites and this is particularly true in paints and to look at what's happening with titanium white and zinc white. These are two established pigments uh, used in paints and yet there's pressure not this time from the manufacturers who are withdrawing one or the other but from the art world where research has called into question at least one of them. Do you want to just talk me through that? Yeah, so the world of white in artist paint uh, is, is a massive one. It's the biggest seller, for example, that we have, white, white moves. Uh, in, in huge quantities because it's mixed with most other colours. Of course, the, the original right, white was lead-based, uh, and, and, and again, this is regulations and um, health and safety uh, come to play its part, and, and lead was seen as, uh, uh, let's say, too dangerous. And to, it is to, a uniquely pernicious pigment, isn't exactly. it? Once it's taken into the body, the body can't uh, get rid of it. So Yeah, yeah and, and it's, so not, not a pleasant material to have to use. So, of course... There was an attempt to look for alternatives, and we have out there titanium, which is um, a very opaque pigment and does a really, really good job um, at replacing lead for the most part. But common amongst um, alternative pigments was zinc, or zinc oxide to be more specific. And they they both bring unique characteristics um, to the paint, as, as almost all pigments do. So titanium, for example, uh, tends to keep the film a lot softer and more gel-like 
um, than than the, the lead ever did or other pigments in other colors um, zinc is kind of the opposite it, it tends to dry or bring a brittleness to a film so so you see in a lot of formulations a combination of those two pigments to try and get the, the, the best balance between the two but we certainly see um, for example zinc oxide gets looked at more closely by the artist world now and what are because people of concerned about well Zinc and titanium have been around a long time, both being used by uh, Van Gogh, for example, uh, and many other great masters. But, of course, now we have a lot more technology. Uh, we also have the benefit of time to see the result on very old paintings. Uh, so, so there's a number of things that uh, bring more awareness of, of what's going on inside um, a paint film and certainly what's happening when we're using zinc particularly. Now, zinc um, often has this, um, brings a brittleness to the paint film, which is, is a problem if it's used uh, in the final coat, for example. Then you have something that's quite brittle and hard o over softer coatings beneath. So that, so that can result in cracking, for example. Um, but what we do know about zinc, uh, and, and, and the area is still being investigated quite closely, and it's going to take a, a lot of time to fully understand the mechanisms involved. But we do know it tends to happen where um, the zinc is also exposed to quite humid conditions. So if, if a paint's not stored well or in the wrong conditions, then we certainly see it come to the fore. Or maybe if a, a formulation isn't well balanced um, or poor materials are being used around the zinc, then we see this uh, higher... Uh, potential for, for cracking in, in, in the future uh, of a paint. So if I'm a painter and I've been using Cranfield's zinc white for years, should I be taking those paintings off the wall? No, you don't need to take those off the wall. Uh, zinc oxide continues to be used um, after a few centuries of use and predominantly there's no issues uh, witnessed or, or viewed. Keep them in warm, stable conditions, uh, avoid excessive light uh, hitting them and th they'll perform as, as, as you would expect. Indeed, that's true for any painting, isn't it? That yeah. It should be stored properly and well. And Absolutely, yeah. For good paints, and we would include very much our own paints as that, they've often been blends of titanium and zinc. And looking ahead, if changes are going to be made, we here do an awful lot of extensive research and testing before any of our products ever hit the shelves and are used by painters and I know in the lab you're continually testing whites including those with zinc and you're looking again as the ink film dries checking for embrittlement that's a word we should use on a daily basis I think <laughs> absolutely yeah absolutely we check our paints quite thoroughly during the sort of development of the paints and of course during manufacture as well with the issue of embrittlement from zinc it's, it can be a long-term issue, um, so it's something that's continuing and ongoing. Until now, we see positive results, so we're, we're not concerned with, with what we're producing. Um, and again, we, we will continue to, to monitor it, monitor it and, and evaluate uh, as, as we move forward. And it must seem strange to you that you're now 
considering problems that affect a tube at a time <laughs> when you used to deal with the tanker load. And I hope that, uh, on reflection, you'd agree that um, when we're talking with problems with artists, it's far more of a positive experience than it used to be when you were dealing with those great worries uh, in your former life in industrial planes. Good to talk to you. I'm aware, Paul, over these few minutes, sitting down to chat with you. What a noisy place this is. Even this one of the quietest rooms in the factory, you can hear the mills and forklift trucks and all manner of things going on around us. Oh, yes, the work never stops here at Cranfield. We're always working hard. <laughs> we better get back to it. Lovely yep. to talk to you. And you, Michael.